Hi, everybody. I'm Charlie Ekstrom of Stanford Beach Volleyball, and you're watching or listening to College Volleyball Weekly Beach Edition. I'm Alana Rennie of University of Arizona Beach Volleyball, and you're watching or listening to College Volleyball Weekly Beach Edition. Hi, I'm Kate Privet of TCU Beach Volleyball, and you're watching or listening to College Volleyball Weekly Beach Edition. You've tapped or clicked in to College Volleyball Weekly on Viral Volley Media. Now here's your host, Rob Mike. With me on screen, as always, Kate Privet of TCU and Charlie Ekstrom, of course, of Stanford. We got Charlie from Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and of course, still at TCU, Kate, who flies out early tomorrow morning for the Center of Effort Challenge, coming up this week in Cal Poly San Luis Obispo, or otherwise known as Cal Poly. Good day, ladies. Good to have you back on. Thanks for having us, as always. <laughs> yeah, good to be back. It's kind of funny, Kate, we're flipping places. You get to go to the West Coast this week, and I'm out here on the East You're Side. Right. That, that is funny. <laughs> we send each other's jerseys. You can play for each other in the pairs. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, um, last week in uh, week seven, we saw a lot of movement in the polls. Not big movements. The biggest mover was like maybe two spots. And depending on what poll you're looking at, the collegebeachvb.com or the AVCA, Pepperdine still in on the AVCA, whereas they drop out and Arizona goes back in for the CBV, College Beach Volleyball and the AVCA. So there's definitely some disagreement between the media and the coaches, but they're just polls. So in all, so let's just check out the uh, first result that I had in mind. And that was Pepperdine dropping out of the top 20 after two in one week, losses to number 11, Long Beach State 3-2. Long Beach State's a legitimate team. And I believe that Charlie, you've seen them twice or three times now, right? We've seen them twice, yes, and they're they're definitely a legitimate team. We were able to edge ahead of them the first time we matched up against them 4-1 and the second time 3-2, but it all came down to our final duels court. It went to three. Um, they they battled us well, and they're a very talented team. And I, I believe you haven't seen them this year, correct, Kate? But mm, you'll, you'll see them this weekend, though. We'll see them like this weekend. Them. I don't know if we'll be playing them, though. They're not in our pool, so we could play them depending on the um, the pool, how the pools go. But we, but I'll get to see them, which will be good. Yeah. Well, they had a one of the pairs of the week is Megan Widener and Natalie Glenn for Long Beach State. You got the Big West pair of the week, so another young pair for Long Beach State, looking good for Mike Campbell in the beach. But let's go up one. Uh, number nineteen, Arizona, back in the top twenty after a one week absence. I know Alana, our third contributor on board, who we're missing, wasn't happy about that, but <clears throat> unfortunately, it came at the expense of defeating Stanford three two. So let's start with Kate, and then we'll have Charlie wrap it up on that one. Um, last week I did I did say it's for those teams, it's important for them to get big upsets in order to get back in the rankings. And sorry, Charlie, but <laughs> Arizona got their upset and they made it back in the rankings. So yeah, I mean, that's awesome. That's awesome for them. So yeah, I wish Elena was here to say something, but. <laughs> All right, Charlie. I mean, Kate's exactly right. They, these teams that are like every team that's in the polls right now is competing to stay in the spot that they're at or rise higher and higher so that they could be competing as that talk has been about the at-large bids. And while it sucks to be upset, I think that it's absolutely adding fuel to our fire and it's just getting us back into that grind mentality, getting ready. It kind of from 
our perspective reflecting back, I think it's just a good note that it's like, all right, like they came out guns blazing. You're in kind of this like neutral zone. We were on campus, but it wasn't in our home stadium. Um, and we need to just be ready to adapt to elements quicker. And um, Arizona adapted to some elements quicker than we did. And I think that reflecting back that we're really looking forward to just pushing forward and trying to get a couple upsets at this end of season, last couple of weeks so that we can keep on working to secure one of those bids for the national championship tournament. Yeah. All important time. And also making a mini move is Stetson now number 18, moving up one from a 19, but they kind of had a big week with three, two wins over Georgia state and South Carolina. They started the season at number 14 and were consistently tailing off here, but that was, a, that's a big win for that program. And uh, I do believe they do have a pair of the week. Let me get the names out here. Um, for Stetson, let us go to, oh gosh, I, I've got so many notes. It's one of the toughest things to, to track here. It is Caroline Ferraris and Anita Namike, the Brazilian and um, Latvian pair. So what do we know about Stetson that you've seen? So let's start off with you, Charlie. Yeah, so Stetson is kind of this question mark to me in all reality. They've been able to pull off some really great upsets, but they've also been upset pretty consistently. And so Stetson's kind of doing this dance. I mean, they've got the historical wins now, like they've got this win over Georgia State, they've got the win over South Carolina, but then again, they lose to UT Martin, who's been unranked for the entire season, not anywhere in the polls. And that's a huge win for UT Martin, but it's also a huge loss for Stetson, who's competing again for a potential conference bid and also a potential at-large bid. Um, I'm interested to see where Stetson's going to end up falling because of the fact that they'll have some of these really huge upsets, but then they'll come back and they'll be upset themselves by unranked teams. And so Stetson is kind of like doing this very interesting dance to me where they're winning the games that they shouldn't, but they're losing the games that they should is what it kind of seems like to me. <laughs> oh, nice analysis there, Charlie. Let's jump over to Kate. <laughs> yeah, Stetson, I agree with Charlie. They're, they've, um, they're always a great team, but they're losing to some teams they shouldn't and we'll see how that falls in the end but their pair of the week um is a great team I've I played them this year and super scrappy and they deserve they deserve it so I'm really happy for them you had the uh honor of seeing them play three times in Long Beach so uh they're a pretty good team I like watching them play they're uh not oversized but they got some big arms at each of the pairs and um super physical for that height too they're I mean they're 5'10-ish, 5'11", but they're all big jumpers with big swings. So that's some good good weapons to have as you're going into the tail end of the season here. Um, big news for FAU, who's up one from 16 to 15. Um, they had some, like, is odd because they had losses to Florida State, at LMU, and LSU, but they moved up. But I think a lot of people have, are realizing that they got one of their key players back, Marquetos Svozilova back, who's playing with Courtney Moon. And they went 2-0 for the weekend uh, at the fours. But, um, you know, they are, I mean, that that term they were playing in, the uh, is it the Unconquered? Is that the name of it that they were at this weekend? I mean, those are quality losses. Florida State, LMU, and then because it was played till uh, a victory, LSU swept them 3-0. But what do we know about FAU? They kind of faded, came back up again, but I think they're peaking at the right time. What say you, Kate? FAU is always good. They're really good in the wind and they're really scrappy. And every year 
um, they're, they come to, to play hard. And even though they did have um, a weekend where they lost three games, they, they lost to LMU 3-2 and they lost to FSU 3-2. So they were fighting hard. I think a lot of those went to third sets also so that there could have been potential for an upset. So those are some quality losses that I'm sure stung a little bit, but they'll probably use that to fire them up for the rest of the season. Yeah. How about you, Charlie? Yeah, FAU. I mean, I've been impressed with FAU for a couple of years now, but I was really impressed with them when we played them earlier this season. And they, again, they didn't even have all of their lineup in and set yet. So having a key player come back and then I'm seeing here in our notes that it's like LMU beat them 25-23 in the third set at the threes to win that duel. So it coming down to the wire that much, 25-23 in the third set, that's a crazy barn burner of a game. But coming down to that three score, coming down for that three, two win for LMU, great win for LMU to be able to pull off. But also that's a really, really respectable loss for FAU. And I don't know I'm impressed by them. Like Kate was saying, they're super scrappy. They don't let a lot of balls drop. They are good servers. They're very aggressive. And I was really impressed with them when we played them. I think that we were very, very happy that we were able to edge ahead of them three, two this year. Yeah, without a doubt. Uh, let's jump up to our biggest drop of the week. Again, keep in mind, there's only two spots they dropped, but it was a Georgia State from 11 to 13. And Georgia State's one of those scary teams to play because at each of the flights, they've been able to upset some people already, even though the East meets West and all through, you know, with the uh, the Ferrari twins, who we constantly talk about, but they beat number 15, South Carolina, but lost number 19, Stetson, and barely edged UT Martin 3-2. So, not you know from what I saw, they were a really good team, pretty solid all the way through the flights. But what are your guys t- guys takes on that team? Being that you probably have come up across them more regularly than I have, we'll start with you, Kate. Like you said, Georgia State, they're they're good on all flights, and they have a lot of depth. And even though they um, lost to Stetson this weekend, it was three. Oh, they lost to UT Martin too, I guess. But um, it was three two close loss they beat South Carolina which is a good win um and we'll see how how they do in their conference tournament and at nationals because as we saw last year they won their conference they made it to nationals and they upset two or three teams so I really think that they're gonna use that confidence from last year this year and we'll see we'll see how they do but yeah Georgia State is is a good scrappy team um and Beth always has her her players ready. Yeah. How about you, Charlie? Thoughts on Georgia State? <clears throat> yeah, Georgia State, they are that kind of postseason team that I want to be looking out for because they were like the queens of the upsets last year. So I'm really looking forward to watching Georgia State as they edge into this preseason, like Kate was saying. And again, I think that almost this loss against Stetson 3-2 I think it's more of a testament to Stetson and their level of play than it is to a dig on Georgia State that's kind of the way that I was looking at this loss because I think it's finally Stetson coming in and showing like hey we're just we're here just as much to compete I think that Stetson and Arizona's big week big wins this past weekend really showed as like more of testaments to the depths of the rankings and also testaments to the depths of these programs that are still trying to fight their way back into the rankings or trying to fight their way to keep their spots in the rankings. Um, so I think that huge win for Stetson, but also Georgia State, I mean, they're really, really talented. They've got a great depth. They're just very scrappy. I mean, looking at the, oh, we, we never stopped talking about them, but I think it's just because of how fantastic they really are, these Ferrari twins. Um, and I think that, 
looking at it from the Georgia State perspective, I think having that much scrap, I think that it's going to look very good going into a postseason where it's going to get windier, it's going to get hotter, it's going to get to kind of where we're looking for sheer athleticism and scrap that's going to win these kind of duels in the long run. Yeah. Kate. Oh, I already, I already talked about Georgia oh, State. <laughs> I was, was going to ask you, well, actually you've been in Florida State in that area, the wind mm-hmm. in the sand, but you know, I guess Georgia State is in Atlanta. So mm-hmm. it's kind of in a um, urban setting and you got the buildings and everything around there, but what's it like playing in that kind of scenario? Cause I don't think you've been to Georgia state this season yet. Right, Charlie. No, I've, we haven't. I've probably played Georgia state like 10 times or more or 15 times, but I've never played at Georgia state. So I, I, I don't, in all my four years at Florida state, we would play them at least two or three times a year, but I never actually played them at Georgia state. So I don't, I, I see the photos and the videos and yeah, they're in, there's buildings all around them. I think they're on the roof, but I don't, I've never actually played out at Georgia state. <laughs> well, it seems like they acclimate pretty well to the wind mm-hmm. and all the elements at Gulf Shores. I, I hear that's the make or break is even talking to some of the coaches, like they want to get their teams out onto like those that to Gulf Shores or to Florida so they can deal with the wind and the hot and the muggy and all that stuff. So um, <clears throat> the upset of the week was just when that caught my eye, but LMU going up to six from number seven after beating Florida State. Um, let's start with you, Charlie, on this one and uh, close out the former Seminole. <laughs> I honestly think that this was my favorite match of the week looking at was this LMU versus FSU matchup. Um, seeing that win 3-2 for LMU to edge ahead, I think that, again, we're kind of seeing like these last couple of weeks, we've seen a lot of upsets. But then we've also seen like these teams, we've not seen a definitive, like this one team is dominant with their upsets. Like we look at LMU and they've got this upset against number three FSU, which is huge, but then they lose to number five LSU. So it's like, where do you put LMU, LSU, FSU in the rankings when FSU has beat LSU, but then LSU has beat LMU, but LMU has beat FSU. It's kind of that like interesting little dance of where the rankings aren't super indicative, in my opinion, of exactly where everybody should be falling just because of the fact that we're seeing like constant upsets of one another. So I think Kate said it really well last week, I want to say when we were talking about this, that the rankings at the end of the day don't mean as much as they kind of seem to because of the fact that everybody's bound to upset each other at one point or another. So it's really going to come down to like what the tournament bracket is at the end of the day, more so than what the rankings are on a weekly scale. But I think that that upset of FSU uh, really solidified if the, that ticket for LMU wasn't solidified already. I think that we'll be seeing them in the postseason tournament pretty, pretty easily now. Yeah. All right, Kate, take a shot. <clears throat> yeah, I was, I think that the score was actually LMU 4-1 um, when at the, I was, I was looking at scores, but I know that a lot of them were in the third set. So it might've been really close, but um yeah, LMU, they're always good. And John Mayer is a really good coach. So they've had I all season, I think they've had some close losses and some good wins. So this was a huge win for them. And I know LMU and FSU are playing each other this weekend at the Cal Poly tournament that um, we're going to be at. So I'm sure FSU is excited to get another another shot at LMU. So we'll see. We'll see how it goes this weekend. Yeah, that's right. They were actually playing until victory. And it was, uh, I believe, the deciding 
duel or the deciding flight was the threes. That was a Christine Gardner and Jacinda Ramirez of LMU defeating Anna Long and Jordan Polo, who were the CCSA pair of the week last week, I believe. So that was a big win of 2018 in the third set. So uh, yeah, I watched that final point too. I think that it was like an ace on the final point, which was the most like epic upset for LMU, but also just such a dagger to lose as FSU. But if you look at their, the, uh, the fourth flight, they were, it looked like it was unfinished. They had five courts going, but they were in a third set in flight four, 13, 14 was a score. Oh, okay. They cut it off. So. <laughs> <laughs> at that point, you might as well just finish it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That's my thought too. <laughs> I mean, that could have gone either way. You know, had they finished earlier, that would have been, um, looks like that would have been LMU taking that one anyway. So, but it, it would have been a 4-1. You're right. So, yeah. um, <clears throat> Well, we, we know about the other teams here, but let's just, let's brush you really quick. You know, the top, there's a little change with UCLA moving back up to number three from four with the FSU loss. So FSU at four, then you got USC. And then of course, Kate's team TCU at number one for, I think it's nine weeks now, eight weeks, no, six weeks, six weeks. So um, with that, I wanted to hit you guys up with a question here because I got it on Instagram. I thought it was interesting. Um, would be interested on your take about the crazy upsets this weekend and how college beach is evolving. And they give the example of UT Martin taking out Stetson and GC, uh, GSC, uh, Georgia State, but many players coming out of juniors. So I think the, the listener wanted you guys to comment on that. So who, who wants to take the first stab? I can. I think it speaks a lot to, I know we've touched on this, in a few episodes, just mm -hmm. the depth, the depth in the lineups. Um, a lot of these duels are coming down to fours and fives, and it just shows that it's so close. And I know on our team, particularly, and I'm sure it's like this on a lot of teams, but the fives and the fives and the ones, like there's not that much separation between any of the flights. So it's like anybody can can win, which I think is one reason why we're seeing so many three, two duels across the board. So many duels coming down to the third set. So yeah. And that I'm sure that has to do with um, the juniors game growing from when they're younger. So there's a lot, a lot more talent coming in too. So that's what I think. <laughs> oh, all right. How about you, Charlie? I literally, I couldn't agree anymore. I was, I was going to add to that. Like you rarely see a five Oh sweep anymore. I mean, they're still out there, but right now with kind of the depth, in the whole of like the national beach volleyball scene we're seeing a lot more in the top 20 of them being three twos or being four ones we're seeing a lot less top five pair or top five schools just sweeping everybody else we're seeing a lot more parity and expansion in the sport which i think is really awesome and i think it's huge for the depth and the expansion of the sport it's like i was saying at the beginning maybe even in our preseason recording of how I think that the bracket should be expanded even further. Like we got it expanded out to 17 this year. I think that it should be a 2014 bracket because I think that there are 24 teams that could cause upsets and we have enough teams on a national basis to be able to do that now. But I think now that we're seeing these results coming closer and closer, we're not just seeing everybody clean sweeping out um, teams that aren't in the top 20. I think that it's just 
edging closer to kind of seeing that. I think depth nationally is going up along with depth and programs. I think that we're even seeing, like Kate was saying, of like the fives and the ones, there's not that much of a difference. We're also seeing that of players who are not necessarily getting the same amount of playing time, who are playing at the sixes, sevens, or just on travel rosters, they're still just as talented as the people who are in the starting lineup. So I think with how competitive programs are getting within themselves, it's just only adding depth to, again, that national talent pool and um, adding to the strength of beach volleyball as a whole. Yeah. Well, the other part of the question they had was this, and I thought it was interesting. <clears throat> I think that the USC-UCLA dominance will be a thing in the past. I'm like, strong statement there. But then uh, one, of the guys, one of the things I did realize this year, so you had Texas starting their beach program. And with TCU there and is a Houston Christian, it's also over there. Um, other, I look at the talent that's coming out. Look at the top players in the nation. They've been recruited by UCLA, USC, Texas. And I know I've spoken to some parents of East meets West and battle uh, some of the other uh, battle for LA's that happened to be Texas parents. Like, Oh, if Texas started, if they had a program, our daughter would have gone there in a heartbeat. So we could see a change in the, you know, where the talent pools and where the powerhouse is going to be with a program like Texas with money and size and the notoriety of the name, but want to get your guys' thoughts with these developing programs and USC, UCLA, not in prominence yet. I don't know about that, but let's let you guys have a, a stab. I can start with this one. I still think that UCLA and, UC and USC are absolute powerhouse programs, and I don't think that they'll ever really shy away from being powerhouse programs. So I'd almost challenge that question and say that I don't think that their dominance will be a thing of the past. I just think that other schools are increasing in their talent pools to where there will be a greater level of dominance. Like the playing fields will be lightly more leveled, but I don't necessarily see that in their level of play going down. I just see that that rising tide like raises all ships kind of mentality of where the talent in the nation is becoming so wide, but like spanning so wide across that these two programs that historically have recruited the best players always and had this strength they're not going to be the only programs with that strength anymore because of the fact that we have so many more players who are able to contribute at such a high level from all across the nation so I think that instead of just seeing this like west coast LA dominance we're going to see that Texas dominance that we see in juniors we're going to see that dominance that we've seen in Florida for a historical long time we're going to see more west coast schools that aren't just the ones in LA gaining dominance gaining just strength and we're going to see I don't know I think from a national level it's again it's the rising tide raises all boats um with the growth of talent nationally we're just going to see programs get stronger and stronger we're not going to see any get weaker we're just going to see others get stronger yeah good call Kate your thoughts on the uh well the UCLA USC and power housing I agree I completely agree USC and UCLA they're always going to be good I just think there's more teams that are going to be good too, um, which I, I feel like we're seeing in general, but I don't ever expect USC and UCLA to ever drop, drop out of the top six, top seven, no matter they're, they're, they're always going to be good. They have good coaches, but other teams I think are going to start competing with them a lot more like we've seen in more recent years. Um, and then yeah, Texas beach volleyball, I feel like if they, I think they're hiring a new coach, depending on the coach they get, but um, 
people will want to go to Texas. It's a great school. And like you mentioned, a lot of Texas girls are going to want to go to Texas, I, I believe. So we'll see how that program does in the future too, which that'll be interesting. An inside source of mine says the coach announcement's coming in May. Ooh, interesting. (laughs) And they said it's a big name. I'm like, come on, tell me who it is. Because they know. Oh my gosh. Why are you going to tease this in front of me like this? So uh, (laughs) big announcement coming up for Texas on the beach. Um, With that, um, good question. Appreciate the listener who sent that in. And always like you guys, I'm I'm just a guy who sits with a, a behind a laptop and tries to guess things, whereas you guys actually go up against the athletes in the program. So I think you guys have a little more weight to your opinions than I do. <laughs> I'm an armchair uh, setter, defender. I won't block it all. So um, <clears throat> now with that, you know, this week has, there has been a lot of buzz already now about the NCAA tournament. And for those of you that they're going to a new format this year, nine automatic berths uh, based on the conference tournaments, and then eight at largest. Um, so it's a 17 team field. 16 and 17 will compete in opening round duel on, the, on Wednesday, May 3rd. The winner advances to the 16-team single elimination bracket. That'll happen May 5th through 7th. I was going through my projections here. <clears throat> and with that, you know, each conference, you know, there are some teams that are favorites. Like for the ASUN conference, Stetson, Big West right now. It's Hawaii. If we're looking at today's results, CCSA, it's looking like TCU. I mean, they've just been dominating. Conference USA, it's been a toss-up between FIU and FAU, but then you have Tulane sneaking up the back. Uh, Ohio Ohio Valley Conference, UT Martin, and then the Pac-12. This is where it could get really messy here. People are picking UCLA, USC, but you've got four other teams. Well, we'll say five potential at-large candidates out of that conference alone. Um, And then Southland Conference, Texas A&M, Corpus Christi. Sunbelt is Georgia State is a favorite, and West Coast Conference, LMU. According to my math, you have 13 teams that would be vying for eight at-large spots. And that's assuming that there isn't a huge upset in one of the other conferences, like one of the significant conferences, like let's say LMU, for some reason, Pepperdine kicked something into gear and was able to match up and beat them in their, their tournament. That could be wreak havoc on everything. So, but uh, what are your thoughts on the teams out of the conferences? Um, yeah, I know we already mentioned some like Ace and we were talking about Stetson, but the potential at-large berths or other contenders are FGCU and UNF because UNF had a late, sur- not a late surge, but a mid-season surge. What do we know about these teams? <clears throat> and uh, let's go with you, Kate. Those three, uh, Stetson, FGCU, and UNF, we, we saw them last weekend. Honestly, I think any of those three could win the conference depending on who shows up that day. The games that they played were all 3-2, and I know that they've, kind of been switching back and forth so that one I I would say Stetson's the favorite but I wouldn't be I'm not going to be shocked if um, FGCU or or UNF take it I think it'll just come down to who plays better that day yeah Charlie how about you what do you, what do you know about uh, the ASIN conference I think that Kate hit the nail on the head with that one I think that we're seeing FGCU and UNF kind of come back from behind I think Stetson's historically been the name to kind of watch in ASUN, and they've been the historical dominant force. But UNF being this very scrappy team that they have been, been, being able to put up a couple upsets, and FGCU just with the knowledge of their program, I know that they're also a very 
strong program, even though they historically don't kind of get the um, hype that, that a lot of other schools do and they don't necessarily make it in the rankings, but they're still a team that is not to be messed with. And so I think that that's a toss up in the conference. And then again, I think that you were saying that kind of like, obviously we see a lot of strength in the CCSA with TCU, but there's probably four or five teams from the CCSA that are also vying for in that group of 13 schools vying for eight spots. And I think that any of the five schools who don't make it of those 13 viable contenders, I think that all of them could equally be at this tournament. So, I mean, it's kind of crazy to think about because I think we're going to see a bit of a toss up when it comes. And you almost hope that the conference tournaments will go exactly as you expect them so that you can see some of these contenders that are vying for at-large bids still get them. Because if a big upset happens in one of the conferences that seems to be overly dominated, then like you were saying, Rob, it kind of becomes this big toss up of a team that's going to get an at-large bid um, now is taking one from a team that clearly was going to get one, but now isn't going to because a conference didn't go the way that it was expected to. Yep. Anything to add, Kate? I agree. It's going to, it's going to be, um, it's going to be a hard decision for, for the committee. And it's going to be really fun to, to see what happens in these conferences. Yeah. Well, as a volley nerd looking at the stats, I look at the Big West Conference and when I was preparing for the preseason, the preview show for um, uh, volleyballmag.com, looking at the Big West, you got Hawaii as an obvious front runner. But every year, Cal Poly seems to pull off an upset. And this year they're down. But man, I am afraid of that Cal Poly team because they could rise up. And Long Beach State is pretty legit too, as we were talking about earlier. But um, I mean, Charlie, you played with uh brick van sickle you've seen them pretty regularly and i believe uh kate you've seen hawaii this season already at in the I, never, I haven't seen i i haven't seen hawaii i haven't seen any of those three teams we're playing cal poly uh friday but i haven't seen any any anyway. of those well let's go to uh charlie then and talk about the potential big west teams then well i think we're seeing this kind of return it's a big question mark with the big west because the big west last year Cal Poly secured their bid, and I don't think that they necessarily would have gotten an at-large bid if they wouldn't have won their conference, but they came from behind, like came through the woodworks and beat Hawaii, beat Long Beach State, and they ended up kind of edging Long Beach State out of the running for a wild card for one of those at-large bids. And so Long Beach State, I think, lightly got gypped out of the out of the national championship tournament last year, but that was only because they didn't perform at the conference tournament and Cal Poly ended up being this big upset and winning the conference. So if Cal Poly is able to do something like that and edge ahead when they've been unranked all season and they're not, again, they're not in one of those groupings that's anticipated to get an at-large bid, if they're able to pull off the same upset, then again, that takes away um, an at-large bid that's going to go to either a Hawaii or a Long Beach state that it was anticipated that only one of them would have to fly for an at-large as opposed to both of them if Cal Poly yeah. is able to pull it off again. Well, let's go over into our first conference of death, and that's the CCSA. You know, TCU's clear front runner, but you still have Florida State, LSU, and new member Grand Canyon. And although they, you know, they had they took their lumps. They were moving their lineup around in Grand Canyon. You just don't know what they're going to come out with. And they're good. No one's doubting that they don't have the talent. But man, that is a crazy conference this year. So Kate, that's your home conference. Tell us about the CCSA. Yeah, the CCSA is going to be crazy because I've always been in the CCSA. Um, and 
it's uh, a few years ago, it was like always FSU, LSU. And then TCU came into the picture as FSU, LSU, TCU. And now Grand Canyon's in the picture. And I mean, like, yeah, we want to win, but those schools are going to show up and play well. So we, we need to show up and play well too to win that and get the, the automatic um, bid. But I, I do think, I do think that there will be four bids coming from the CCSA just because they're all in the uh, top 10, <laughs> just because that I think all four of the teams have proven themselves throughout the season. So, which it, it I mean, it's hard to four bids come from one conference, but I, I still, I think there will be four bids coming from the CCSA. It's easy because uh, all teams are actually in the top seven, if you think about it, <laughs> the ones that are likely. But then there is another conference of death, and that is Charlie's home conference, which is the Pac-12. Because the way I've projected out, if uh, CCSA gets four of the at-larges, the other four at-larges probably have to come out of the Pac-12, which means you know all the other teams have to win their tournaments. But I got... Right now, and this isn't set in stone for all you UCLA, USC haters and want to hate on me. I'm just saying it's either going to be UCLA or USC at the top, but you got to have Cal, Stanford, Washington, and of course, Arizona in the mix, who's on the bubble. So tell me what you're seeing in the Pac-12, Charlie. Yeah, I mean, after this last weekend, I think that it was very clear that nothing is certain in the Pac-12. I think that similar to what Kate was saying, like, they have four schools that are going to come out. I think that we have probably between four and six schools that are going to come out and show up. And again, while USC and UCLA have shown just kind of a strong dominance, they're still, we've gone 3-2 with both of them. I know that they've gone 3-2 with Washington. I know that they've gone 3-2, I believe, with Cal before. I know that they UCLA swept Cal this past weekend, but that doesn't really mean anything because Cal's a strong team nonetheless. That felt like a crime saying that being a Stanford player, saying that Cal is a strong team. But again, they really are. And I think that we could very much see four teams come out of the Pac-12 as well. And I was thinking about it like you were sa- like you were saying, Kate, like it's hard to say that there's going to be four teams out of these conferences. But I believe last year, four teams came out of CCSA and four came out of Pac-12. I don't know if we'll necessarily be able to see more than four out of these conferences from a wild card, like at large standpoint. But at least we see like one birth at large. So then it's technically only three at larges going to each conference. So then that still leaves two more wild cards up for grab. Uh, but again, I mean, seeing these two powerhouse conferences with the CCSA and the Pac-12, I think that there's a lot of these schools that have really proven their point. And like you were saying, Rob, with the CCSA, all, all of those four schools that Kate was mentioning are in the top seven. And then that top 10 trickle down becomes like Hawaii, Cal, Stanford, and UCLA and USC are in that top four, top four. So, I mean, in the top 10, eight out of 10 programs are CCSA, or is it nine out of 10? I think it's eight out of 10 programs are CCSA or Pac-12. So, I mean, I feel like that's a given that we should be seeing some of these teams as long as they're still able to win matches. Right, right. Well, you have the up and comers like Washington, who's had a breakout year, you got to keep an eye on and there's always Arizona who has the talent. And of course the mighty Cardinal, the trees, you know, who have a really good talent throughout their lineups. Um, but Cal, we've seen Ainsley Riddell and Ashley Delgado and the rest of the flights that are in there. And, you know, it's, it's not gonna be a fun time come 
that last conference tournament ball dropping, and then the committee has to meet that night and then go to the the uh, the NCAA selection show the next morning. Not going to want to be in that committee. <laughs> yeah, no. yeah, that's going to be it's going to be hard. So it's, with it's that, be good. Oh, I was just saying, it's going to be a toss up for sure. We got a, we got a long, a long three weeks ahead of us leading up to this end of season. <laughs> well, I was going to go over the pairs of the week, but I don't have everyone listed. So we're not going to do that unless I get everyone. Um, yeah. Conferences, get your pairs of the week out so I can get the information out there, please. If you're watching or listening um, so we can give everyone love that needs the love, but I just start off with what you guys are watching this week because Pretty important week. It's the, I guess it's the last week of regular season play before the tournament starts, um, so to speak. Well, actually, next weekend, like I know UCLA's senior night, senior day, they're hosting LMU in the finale against USC on Thursday, which we will probably, we'll have one more episode on Wednesday night. But I mean, we're down to the nitty gritty here towards the end. But what do you guys watch? We'll start with you, Kate. <clears throat> um, I have to say, not just because, I'm going to be there, but I think um, a big tournament to watch is the center of effort challenge. It has at Cal Poly, it has the top four and then L, uh, L, so it has one, two, three, four and TCU, FSU, USC, UCLA. And then it has LMU will be there. Long Beach will be there. Cal Poly will be there um, and Pepperdine. So there's going to be a lot of great duels. I'm sure we'll see a lot of three twos. So, I mean, I'll, I'll have my eyes on it because I'll be there, but I think um, a lot of people will probably have their eyes on the center of effort challenge. <laughs> All right. I'm going to piggyback on that. But after Charlie goes, I was also going to piggyback on that. I think that that's where the nation's eyes should be on is this center of effort challenge this weekend, because of the fact that having all four of the top four in one place again is a pretty cool thing to be able to watch. Um, and also having LMU also having Pepperdine and Cal Poly coming in. I mean, Pepperdine and Cal Poly who have been, not having quite as strong of seasons as the top four and number six, obviously, but they're still teams that are potential upsettable or teams. And then, I mean, my eyes will also be on my own matches as this is my first time in Louisiana. We're going to LSU in Baton Rouge. And so I'm excited to play those games um, against them and a couple other schools out here. We see UNF who we've never played against before um, I think it'll be a fun weekend and I'm really, I've got a lot of eyes on center of effort, but definitely eyes forward on my own games as well. So what is the name of your LSU tournament, Charlie? I'm trying to look for it, look at it on the schedule it's the, here. It's the battle on the Bayou. Okay. There you go. All right. There's a teams there. Who do we got? Stanford, Nickel State, LSU, UNF, and Houston Christian University. So, yes. <clears throat> um, so I'm going to piggyback on that center of effort challenge because when I'm working it, I was really just going to be a fan to say hi to Kate because it's the only time I get to see TCU. Well, I've been recruited um, to go on the stream, which I do want to get out there. I know uh, the preseason show spoke to Todd Rogers, head coach of Cal Poly. He's excited. This is a second annual center of effort challenge. They go to the nines to have this event. There's a banquet for all the athletes. It's sponsored by a very prominent winemaker in the area who's putting up all the money and hosting all the teams and, it's going to be streamed via the AVP crew on the Bally's live app. And then the Cal Poly duels are going to be on ESPN plus. So um, if you're fortunate enough on Friday and Saturday, you'll get to hear me on one of the courts uh, on that, that call. But I mentioned that because 
there's some big matchups going on as, as both Kate and Charlie have said. And Friday starts off with a crazy, crazy matchup between number two USC against number three Florida State, which it, it could be a grudge match for US uh, for Florida State because USC edged Florida State at the um, East meets West three two, and it was extremely competitive. I mean, we had the full Gulf Shore vibes going on on that court. So, uh, you know, we got to see some phenomenal play at the number ones. Well, actually, all of them were playing well. Um, so that's going to be 3 p.m. Pacific on Friday. And then at 4.15, first ever meeting this season between number one TCU and number four UCLA, which prompts me to ask this question. Kate, what's the vibe on your squad right now? <laughs> The vibe is normal. We're just going to go out and play our game. We um not changing anything. And we're excited to play UCLA. They're a great team. And it'll be a good, a good test at the end of, at the end of the season as we head into the postseason. So, yeah. No coaches chess match going on, shuffling of the lineups or anything? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I know how those coaches get all testy. If you turn your lineup in, you know, your team doesn't have theirs in. I'm like, Really, you guys? Come on, you're like waiting right there. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Charlie, what do you think? No, that absolutely cracks me up because I was laughing at that whole like lineup situation. It's like, yeah, we'll see. Um, I feel like that's the most like beach volleyball player thing that we could possibly say. Uh, but I'm really excited to watch that match. I'm also excited, even just hearing Kate, your mentality on going into it. I've always respected so much the way that TCU as a program treats all of their, every single program that they play against with the exact same level of respect and goes out very respectful as competitors, but also just plays at the highest of levels. So I'm excited to see TCU go out, take on some of these West coast schools that they haven't really seen as much at the start of this season. Um, Because I mean, at the end of the day, TCU, you guys have held that spot pretty dominantly this season at number one and i'm excited to see if you can keep it <laughs> yep. well there's one <clears throat> sorry go ahead kate i said we'll see <laughs> <laughs> there's one more match on saturday obviously the the format goes you have two pools uh two east coast teams two west coast teams in each pool and then uh the first place in each of the pools will play each other for first place and this accordingly second and then obviously the, the loser gets the second place, third, then fourth, fifth, sixth, and then eighth. Um, the other match I was looking to look at was another grudge match, 1245 Pacific on Saturday, Florida State versus LMU. So it's Florida State's right in the middle of the mix here. It's an opportunity to redeem themselves against LMU after the losses last weekend. Um, what do you think? Uh, we'll start with uh, the West Coast side, Charlie repping LMU. How do they go into this matchup? I think they go in exactly with the same like game plan and mentality that they had at the start, because at the end of the day, they upset FSU while they were on FSU sand. So whatever mentality they had to go and beat FSU at home, I think they need to keep that going into the center of effort challenge. And I also think that maybe even a little bit more because of the fact that FSU now has that loss tagged on so they're going to come out with just that much more fire and that much more desire to come out and kind of play very dominantly so I think it's LMU's game to win I think it's more there's more pressure on FSU than there is LMU here because at the end of the day it either washes out or it shows LMU's dominance so it's 
LMU's chance to really step up and raise themselves up into the rankings, or it's FSU's chance to say, hey, this is this was a wash and we're we're here just as much as you guys are. So I think it'll be really exciting to watch. All right. And representing the East Coast, Kate Privet, the former Noel. I, I agree with everything Charlie said. I think um both of them should come up, both of them have something to prove. And I know that both of them probably FSU probably wants to prove that it was a, a one-time thing and LMU probably wants to hold their spot. So I'm sure both teams will come out really strong and really playing well. So I'm excited to be there for that. <laughs> Definitely good stuff happening this weekend. And we still got one more week after that and then the conference tournament. So with that, that's going to end episode seven of College Volleyball Weekly Beach Top 20. That's Kate Privets of TCU and Charlie Ekstrom of Stanford missing Alana Rennie of Arizona this week, but hopefully we'll have her back next week with some more exciting results and let the drama begin or postseason pandemonium is like I've been calling it. Um, <laughs> do these ladies a favor, follow them and their programs and just keep growing the game of beach volleyball and volleyball. Um, you know, love seeing the engagement of the questions and got a great crew as, as always every year here on college uh, volleyball weekly. So Kate, thank you. Charlie, thank you. Look forward to talking next week. Always a blast. <laughs> and good luck, of course. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for listening to College Volleyball Weekly. Be sure to follow Rob Esparrow at the Rob on the Mic on Instagram and at Rob on the Mic on Twitter. <laughs>